listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Keelguard Studios. Aaron, another year rolls by and another school session begins. And we're in school right here on Bass Edge Radio for the September 1st edition. Aaron, episode 383, excited to kick off basically another fall, right? I mean, I know I know that it's still late summer, but... You know, September has that traditional fall beginning, right? Absolutely. You know, you feel those nights cooling down and kind of the, the fog in the lower lying areas at, at uh, as those cool mornings uh, start. Man, it, it certainly does get me in the mood to start the fall fishing. And, and Kurt, you know, before we get too far, I know you have a, an episode just packed with stuff, but we've got to mention our friends at MegaWare Keelguard that make all of this possible and have since day one. The uh, Flex Step, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, the battery guard, all of those things can be found at keelguard.com and Curtis we roll in you know speaking about the fall going by man what a, what a busy couple weeks since we were last at the mic Spencer Shuffield I think pro circuit champ yes Kyle Hall Champlain man we've got to talk about those weights Austin yeah. Felix angler of the year race as we tape I mean you know the list just goes on and on it is man things are wrapping up here in 2022 I think there's a uh, one more event left even on the Bass Pro Tour side so yeah man let's hit that Spencer Shuffield first how about it Spencer taking the pro circuit title and the $200,000 ching that goes along with that deal man Spencer Aaron, you know, you're right there close to Arkansas being a Missouri boy. And, uh, you know, Spencer Shuffield's dad, Ron Shuffield, oh, yeah. long time, right? Legend, legend in the sport, man. And, and, and Spencer started out tournament fishing on the highest level the FLW tour very young, man, and had some great success. Went through a little bit of a reset in life, I think is, is appropriate to say. And, man, he came out smelling like a freaking rose this guy has put in the time the effort he's a live scope expert so uh congratulations to spencer shuffman super happy for him yeah. we'll have to we'll have to get him on on a on an episode here in in the next several shows so excited about that yeah and you know you kind of mentioned the the forward-facing sonar and then we you know kind of go over to champlain I'm curious i mean you've got to believe that the forward-facing sonar is having an impact on some of these weights and and just some of these fish that are being targeted like on champlain man aaron it's it's insane we have never seen weights like this at lake champlain you see the random 20 pound sack you know maybe low 20s but in the pro circuit event you see multiple 20 pound, i think it was eight 20 or eight or nine 20 pound bags day one you had the toyota series event just after the pro circuit event so champlain beat to a ball pulp you know, 150 anglers out there whipping whipping up the water. The next week, you have the Toyota Series event, and they have something ridiculous like 14 20-pound bags. Man, we and and many some of these bags, 21, 21 and a half, upwards of 22 pounds. Aaron, we have never seen it. Now, sure, is there some growth in the smallmouth and and just the overall fertility of the fishery? I, sure, you could add that in as a factor. But really what's happening, bro, is that anglers are catching fish they have never seen or known were there before. Anglers fishing over 30, 40, 50, 60 feet of water catching fish that are roaming on bait. And I think that's why we're seeing these a little bit better weights is because these fish that are being targeted out there in in you know, La La Land with Livescope, dude, they've been feeding, right? Right. The best thing about it, right, is you know you are chasing 
fish that are actively feeding, right? So you're not trying to get a, a school necessarily fired up. Absolutely. And, and we've all known how Champlain has been a fishery and game of ounces, right? I mean, 8, 10, 15 ounces could be the difference between 10, 15, or, or 20 spots in a tournament. Now, with live scope and, and chasing these fish that are that are chasing these bait, you're catching a fish that is 2, 3, 4 ounces bigger than you might targeting boulders or, or something like that. Now, now I say all this, Aaron, and let me quantify that Wayne Vaughn, who was leading the event and the Toyota series the first two days, he was actually catching him in more traditional methods, Carolina rig, top water, that kind of thing. So it's not like you have to, but if you ask the majority of the field in the pro circuit, a majority of the field in the Toyota series, what is going on is a lot of those little bit better quality fish are being caught over that deep water with that live scope. So super, super interesting. We, we didn't quite see the same thing at Oahe, though. No, no. And that was a little different, a uh, little different scenario, you know, but a very, very neat story. Hopefully we get to talk to him, you know, in the coming episodes. But uh, what a day. And kind of figuring out that bite, I believe, was a, it went to, ended up being like a Carolina rig slash drop yes. shot, if I, if I remember that correctly. That's exactly right. So Austin Felix uh, kind of got teed up on the Carolina rig from Lee Livesey. They were both... You know, Hawaii fished a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say small, but you know the group, the fish were really grouped up, so the anglers were finding a lot of the same fish. So there was a little bit of crowding because of the way the fishery was setting up. But but you're exactly right. A lot of good fish caught on a Carolina rig over there in Hawaii, which was which was pretty interesting. You know, throwing that little. We just talk, we just mentioned Wayne Vaughn. You know, <laughs> catching some fish on Carolina rig at Champlain. But but uh, over there at Hawaii, same kind of deal, man. You know, I heard a lot of people kind of throwing some negative negativity out there on Oahe because you know you had Austin Felix had the biggest bag of the event 23 pounds you saw a lot of 18 19 pound bags I don't want to say a lot it wasn't no thousand islands right but but um yeah some quality bags you know 16 17 18 19 20 uh, up to 23 pounds and there was some guys that struggled you know and you know some guys had four pounds five pounds six pounds seven pounds and i heard some negativity or saw some negativity there on social media and i'm like man this is what makes a great bass fishing tournament You're going out there putting in the work finding the fish it was obvious if you found them or you didn't you couldn't just go down the bank and just start jacking bass whereas you go to a fishery that's just on fire then you know kind of anybody's game you know you, you hit the right bank then, then it can happen. But uh, this was this was a fishing man's game. So I, I like the Oahe tournament. And, man, we're rolling right into Wisconsin on this last elite event as we tape the show, right? Yeah, well, to your earlier comment, uh, haters going to hate, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand that. Well, one, it's just anyway. negativity, yeah, you know, just, and I, I'm like, yeah, man, I, well, I like, I like I when too. some guys. Yeah, yeah. I do, too. So. Talking about catching them, uh, obviously, everybody knows now that Polonik left the door open after Wahi. You got Brandon Lester, who we just had on in our last episode, and uh, Chris Johnson. Man, you got three guys vying for the title right now, and um, man, we're taping this as it goes on. Fog, as you mentioned, just a little, you know, opening the show there. And it's probably going to play a factor. I think you want to see some short days over here on the river, sits in a valley over there. So you're probably going to have some fog delays. You're not going to get a full eight, nine hours of fishing in every tournament day. So that that is going to play a factor. But, uh, man, it, Mississippi River, Aaron, one of those fisheries that ounces play a big difference. And, you know, the difference between 10 pounds and 15 pounds can be 100 spots. In, right in the standing, right. and and word on the street is they're biting 
over there at uh, the Mississippi River. At Fantastic. Well, uh, we will certainly stay tuned for that piece. But concerning Bass Edge, we've got yeah fairly unique. Uh, I'm really excited about this this next segment here, Kurt. Yeah, we're going to bring in some uh, BASS brass. Uh, so excited to talk about the combine, man. You know, high school fishing moving to a new level. Bring in Hank. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listen for it. Hank Weldon talking about BASS high school combine. Y'all got to stay. Check this out. Then, of course, don't forget, right after that segment, we're going to have our featured angler, guy that's been smoking them on the smallmouth and uh, just an all-around great dude. So uh, excited for this show, Aaron. Let's rock and roll. We'll be right back after these messages. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, as mentioned there at the end of the intro, man, we've got some BASS brass with us on today's show, man. This special segment, discussion, a cool program that I believe is in its second year. It's the BASS High School Combine coming up later this month, September 16th through 18th in Decatur, Alabama. Here to tell us more and dive into the benefits for high schoolers looking to make the move to college bass fishing is BASS guru Hank Weldon. Hank, thanks for stopping by on Bass Edge Radio. Man, guys, uh, happy to be on, yeah, and talk all things combine. It'll be a little change of scenery, but I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, Hank, you're, we're we're glad to have you. And and you know, speaking of of change of scenery, I'll let this be a rhetorical question if you feel like it needs to be. But it has to be a little refreshing change from you know all the talk about the new elite qualifying system in the BASS Open. So we're we're going to shift gears and and I want to get into this high school combine program that BASS has put together. Uh, is really a special opportunity for high school students from all over the country. How did that program? come about you know it kind of yeah it's uh did you guys ever think we'd be talking about this with fishing too by the way you know (laughs) combine (laughs) for for high school anglers to punch their ticket to a college university but you know it kind of was a a culmination really of of many years and and kind of just i hate to kind of reduce it to this but just somewhat of idle chit chat with with coaches at college events and and parents at high school events. And we, we, we found out that there was kind of a need for, for lack of a better term, a one-stop shop, right, for that high school angler and that college coach to where they could go to one place for one weekend, see kids from all over the country, um, and evaluate them and see if they would be a good fit for their program, not only athletically, but also uh, you know, academically. And, uh, and so that was really kind of uh, uh, through the years that was kind of, we tossed it around. We called it a showcase. Do we do some kind of career fair? And we kind of landed on this combine, which really is a, a combine and career fair, almost like college recruiting fair hybrid is what it is. But, you know, it, it, I think it probably would have happened before COVID had COVID not 
stop the world for two years. Um, but, uh, you know, we're glad to have it in its, in its year two. Had a great year one, got some great sponsors, a title and a presenting, and uh, we're excited. A couple of weeks away, and uh, it's going to be a good one. Hank, there were, there's some uh, restrictions in attendance that really make this program, uh, you know, it's already a special program, but really extremely special for the students in attendance. Um, I noticed through the BASS media that um, it's limited to 100 is the capacity for, for uh, the students to be able to attend. Have you already filled this year's attendance for, for the combine? Oh yeah, it's full. We've got a small waiting list and uh you're right, you know, it's a going back to again, we've got three days really to process and get a hundred students in front of, of twenty universities. So there's really not a lot of time when you really break that down. So that, that one hundred number is still that manageable number is why it's so low and uh it's not cheap, you know, for it's a five hundred dollar entry for a high school student, but they get a lot with that, you know, and, and uh, we can talk about that maybe a little bit later. But uh, you know, it's Extremely limited, but in order for it to be uh, an experience that is worth uh, the anglers coming, that's why we put that cap on there. Sure, that makes perfect sense. Now, you know, I saw registration was uh, in the beginning of June is when you guys kicked off the registration. Just so that students and parents listen to the podcast can know for 2023, how fast is this filling up for BASS? How popular has this combine become? Obviously, it's going to continue to gain momentum, but at this point, how long did it take? for you to fill those hundred right. slots so in the first five hours we had 75 registrations um wow. you know and then it rocked along yeah it was quick and uh you know and then we had it we we sat on those 25 for probably about two three weeks so you know and i think it'll probably fill up even faster just based on what i've seen in years past with the college and high school fishing tournament. So, um, you know, it could have filled up in five hours. We thought it was going to, um, but you know, about two, three weeks is what it took to get to that 100 mark. Okay. That's, that's great to know. Last year, I read 19 colleges represented it. You mentioned 20 there just, just a minute ago. How many colleges are going to be represented this year at the, at the combine in attendance? So I think our, I think our official count now, and then you guys will see a release uh, going out with this. So I think we're at either 18 or 19. There's one school that was trying to work around the schedule. One of the unfortunate things, and it's just the way with scheduling goes, Kurt. You know it all too well yeah. with fishing. Is uh, we have a college conflict. There was a, a big college tournament in the spring that had to get moved due to rough water or, or bad weather, and so that is uh, on top of the weekend that we're on. We tried to shuffle some things to to get it to where it was uh, not on top of that, but you know, as you know, with fishing and scheduling, it is never easy. But we're we're excited. That's a good number. We've got some big schools coming. Um, so it's going to be uh, an exciting event for the students and the, and the colleges. So, Hank, a uh, twofold question here. One, for those that are attending in person, right, the, the hundred that are showing up, what's your thoughts on how they can arrive prepared, ready to, you know, pardon the pun, lure a, a, a scholarship away? But also maybe even for those that aren't part of that 100 but that are interested in pursuing a scholarship, advice to them as well. Right. Right. Yeah. So with the with the students coming and, and we try to drive this communication, you know, your angling skill set's going to probably be where it needs to be. I wouldn't worry too much about practicing for the, the casting competition or the long distance. You certainly can. I would focus more on the academic side and presenting yourself well to those schools, because here's the deal. When we when we talk about these scholarship schools um, that offer you know, scholarships for anglers to attend and fish. They're not getting a full ride based on just their fishing 
responsibility. Um, right. They don't have the they don't have the budget allocation for that. So what they do is they subsidize that with academic scholarships, or some other scholarship fund or grant program within that school. So if you can position yourself as a student that not only brings a, a, a sharp angling skill to the table, but also a great academic skill, there's going to be more money to be offered to those students versus a, someone who's just purely putting all their eggs in the in the angling skill bracket. Now, that can also be successful, too. You just kind of open up, you, you broaden that horizon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, so I would I would have that resume and those academic credentials ready to go. Um, with those uh, with those schools when you uh, when you get there, we had a kid walking around last year in a, in a full suit. So he was he was all about the the presentation uh, portion to the uh, anglers. And then um, and then what was the second part? I, I got just so, for the, for those so, I, uh, I think you've covered it as well. But even yeah. for those that are not attending, um, but but right. still interested in in pursuing you know a scholarship in with regards to fishing. Yeah. So, you know, it's fun to say this, you know, have that angler portfolio put together and I would lead, you know, with, you know, you've got your resume, right? Every, every high school angler is going to have that high school student and, you know, approach it like you would with a normal scholarship application to an institution. But just remember that you get to add your angling experience in that too. So, you know, I would, I would always lead with academics and fishing as the secondary part. That's been kind of my perception on, and, then, um, uh, and really what these schools are looking for, right? And then a, a footnote, of course, that, you know, long-term 384 episode listener of, of Bass Edge, 383 episodes goes a long way I'm, too, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. They should put that on their resume, of course. Um, <laughs> there you go. Hank, exactly. Hank, exactly. you know, one of the cool things, right, you got this, this combine. The first thing I thought of, right, was the NFL combine. And then, of course, you guys have some skills competition, I guess you might call it, or, or skills display. That, that the uh, student anglers can show while they're there at the uh, um, event. How important is that? You mentioned, you know, practicing's okay, but it's not like, you know, the face of, of probably what most college are exactly looking for, although it is a part of it, right? So how important is that process from, from the combine perspective right. to be skilled at that level that, that you can display that in front of people? Sure. Yeah. No. So that uh, great question, and that kind of goes back to why we felt a need for this because we hear, and I'm going to single out a couple of families, and everybody listening probably knows who I'm talking about. But every kid's number one fan is their parents, right? And so little Johnny's uh, the best angler on the face of the planet, and they're telling a coach this, and without the combine, the coach either has to go and get in a boat with that angler at a certain weekend, you know, that could be hundreds of miles away. And they can tell very quickly. I mean, you guys know, you can, when you put a rod in a kid's hand, you know, if he knows how to use that thing on, on a, you know, on a, on an elevated level. So that's what I mean by, you know, your, your angling skill is probably already defined or it's not going to be able to be sharpened too much. An angler could maybe potentially get better, but those coaches are going to be able to sit there and watch how a kid does a roll cast and drops that jig right there on that target or skips it under a, a little obstacle that we have set up for them or bombs out a pencil popper, you know, out 80 yards. You know, that that's kind of the, that's the idea is, is so a coach can really assess, is this kid everything he says he is on paper? And that's what those skill challenges are. There's three of them. And, you know, we, we've got a long distance casting accuracy. And the third one, we're still kind of tweaking a little bit, but uh, it's going to be a good all around assessment of what these anglers can do. 
Yeah, I like it. It sounds like a truth test. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> like yeah, truth exactly. or dare. You can throw a bait caster, right? Some people would right, say yes, right. but not all bait caster tossers are created equal, especially at a young age. You know, when you're in high school, you know, there's still a lot of skill right. sets being learned at that age. So uh, that's, that's, it was that's awesome a great concept. Year. The kids were trying. We did a line to line test, not tying, and they were, they had figured out, one kid had figured out how to tie an FG knot in like 35 seconds. I still don't wow. know how he did it. Um, but, uh, he had, you know, you got these kids that can put a leg over their shoulder, right. And hold the line almost (laughs) to tie it. It was, uh, it was entertaining to watch, Uh, but I was like, no way. And, uh, he knocked it out. So, you know, that was, that was entertaining to watch. That is cool, man. It sounds like a lot of fun being had. Man, you talked earlier about the cost. You know, um, $500 is not chump change. But when you look at the opportunity to meet 18, 19, 20 colleges in a weekend, three-day setting, if you think about what it would take to, to travel to two or three colleges versus seeing you know exposure to 18, 19, or 20 colleges, then this is really a fantastic deal for these students. I mean, you cannot get a value like this, you know, in my opinion, anywhere else. Uh, you, you could do some Zoom calls, but you're not going to get that face-to-face, you know, right. uh, attention, you know, like you're like you are going to be here. So I, I think this is a great program. I'm quickly interested to see well, what's your take on that. First of all, you know, it, do you see it kind of holding at that $500 level for for a few years to come? Or I mean, you got to admit this is a fantastic value for the hundred students that get on board. Oh, yeah. I mean, the amount of swag that the kids get alone is going to get close to that value. But I mean, when you're talking about the $500, that includes two nights of hotel rooms, um, a meal Friday night, breakfast. And this is for parents too, you know, mom and dad. Um, so three people, uh, uh, a breakfast on Saturday, lunch Saturday, and a large breakfast on Sunday. So when you start breaking down that alone, you know, you could, I don't think someone could take their kid to Decatur, Alabama and spend that time, uh, you know, together and going out and fishing and probably not keep it under $500 plus exclusive access, you know, with only a hundred other anglers. 99 other anglers in front of those colleges so you know as far as that you know it's like everything we're having to when we look at the budget we're having to look at you know are we covering everything we need to in terms of uh cost and you know it's really the outside factors what are hotel rates going to go to next year what are you know food rates going to go to next year but you know we're going to try to keep it close as close to 500 as possible I think it's at an exceptional value already. Aaron has a daughter that is a tennis player. And Aaron, you could speak to this a little bit, you know, running around different colleges and, and doing the tennis thing, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they do a similar deal, uh, showcase tournaments, right, to where you uh, part of the country. But, I mean, as you know, Hank, like you already mentioned, I, I promise you, we didn't get any hotels or breakfast or food or swag. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're lucky if you got a sweat right. towel to dry off on. So, no, I, I think that's fantastic and just what you have created and, and the opportunity for that is tremendous. I'm curious to know, and, and this actually goes to both Hank, you and Kurt, do you feel that the portal system, you know, will have uh, an impact on, on college fishing or is that going to be, you know, kind of protected, I guess, from the will fishing not be a part of that only in other sports? It's a good question. It's like, who's going to house it, right? Who's going to run it? Maybe that's a, a business <laughs> yeah. idea for you guys to, to establish yourself as the portal folks. You know, I, I don't know. It's, the reason it won't because there's really no like transfer rule restrictions or you know any kind of uh, things that would create an an angler to have to uh, abide by a rule that would 
prohibit them from moving around to different schools, right? We're just not to that point yet. It could happen. You know, I was thinking about this before we came on the on the podcast is when do we start having pro days? Like, Kurt, yeah. you have a, a, a pro day camp or, or Aaron, y'all do that, you know, in the in the summertime, something yeah. like that, you know, for these guys, for these kids, you know, with this combine being successful, that could be kind of a next step within the sport of fishing. Yeah. I, I've been doing a uh, youth fishing camp for, gosh, right. it's been about 11 years. And, uh, man, you know, we, we've had a few a few anglers that have went to last year's combine, actually, there with BASS. And, uh, man, it's it's an opportunity where really they can, you know, just increase that skill set. Like you say, once you kind of get that, you know, where you can throw a bait cast or do some of those fundamentalistic approaches, but really – Instead of chasing waypoints out there that somebody gave you, but actually understanding fish movements, mm-hmm. patterns, behaviors, and, and how the Cody Huffs and some of these other great college anglers that have come through the system understand actually how to freaking catch, well, mo- most importantly, locate a bass then catch a bass is so important part of the process that I think when you're young, it's about getting the bite, right? And, and then you, you start putting those things together a little bit later. But if you can start when you're young about understanding the locations, why, who, what, when, where, why, then catching those bass, you are 10 steps ahead of, of a counterpart for sure. Absolutely. Lastly, Hank, I want to I fire this at you. You know, have you seen any you, you probably know if there's more than than I'm aware of. I've I've heard of the National Scouting Report of kind of mm-hmm. seeing those guys what that group is doing kind of an independent agency on that path of putting together almost like a max preps, you know, for fishing where you know some anglers might get a star rating or just show interest that they're wanting to go to college and fish at the next level. Do you see any movement from the bass perspective, the partner, or maybe create a system of high school rankings across the country? Right. Yeah, we're aware of those guys. We've actually, you know, we've had some discussions with them. Is there a good mix here with the combine um, and and star ranking the the students and stuff? And, you know, we've even thrown that around. But, and as you guys know, it's it's, you don't have – and I'm not trying to roadblock it or anything, but you don't right. have that one set of athletic standards in the sport of fishing, right? It's kind of all over the board. So how do you rank this kid that competed here versus that kid that competed there? So, you know, yes, I would love to get there because within our recruiting guide, pretty cool thing. I know you guys have seen our media guide um, that we put out every year and especially for the classic, but we've got what we call a recruiting guide for the combine that that all the coaches get all the students get and it's kind of like your cliff notes of the combine so you can kind of get an idea which students you want to see before you even get there and uh we would love to put a star ranking to that but it's just we don't have a way to really quantify it in an accurate way that would be fair across all 100 students if that makes sense yeah yeah it does it does if we can figure that out, I would love to do that because, you know, here's here's your four-star angler. I mean, ideally, and I know, I know we've got some great students, what we would like for the combine to get to, or at least, the, you know, the national big one, is the top 100 uncommitted students, right? That That would be the ultimate goal. I don't know. You know, that's probably an unreachable goal at this point. But, I, you know, I think we've got a lot of the your top level students who haven't committed yet. And, you know, and then when I say the top level, you know, do we – 
start regionalizing some combines and, you know, have them at college tournaments, high school tournaments. So you can see we kind of just got there for lack of a better term, it's cliche, but we're hoping we're at kind of the tip of the iceberg with this and oh, it's absolutely. going to only expand. Whoever ends up running it in the future, whether that's you or or uh, I, I know your your role with BASS has, has been fluid over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, you know, with all the, the different things and, and movement that's going around. In, in the organization, all positive movement. But um, yeah, I, I see this as a uh, multi-event scenario. Right. You know, th- this one is not going to last for the next two or three years. It will turn into two or three or five <laughs> events throughout throughout right. the year, maybe right. on a regional basis or something like you mentioned. But yeah, this is a great program, man. You know, we and that, and that would be remiss. I got to give our committee a shout out because wh- while you you hear me talking about it. And yeah, it kind of became the brainchild of the tournament department. We have involved, it's almost like the classic in terms of, you know, it's certainly not that big, but in terms of involving a person or multiples out of each department at Bass to really come together and plan this thing. And they have just all taken ownership of this. And I really think that's the one of the reasons it's been so successful is because it's been a, it's really been a fun project, you know, kind of just, you kind of have the ability to say, well, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's see what happens. This would be neat. You know, it's, it's with it being brand new, kind of like building the college or high school platform, you, you know, from a tournament side, you you can just kind of have fun with it. Right. And you kind of put yourself in the coach's shoes and in the angler's shoes and say, well, what's going to work best? What's the overall mission here? And, They've done a great job, and you know we hope it's bigger and better. I think it will be, um, but you know we've got a few things we're tweaking and changing, and we're going to get that to a model. Hopefully, that'll be able to be dispersed throughout the United States for multiple events here pretty soon. Well, Hank, I mean certainly, you know, if the, the growth of this, I, I see on a on a pretty steep trajectory. Like Kurt mentioned, you know, you're I think you're looking at multiple venues for this in the coming years. But more importantly, you know, what do you want it to be? I, hats off to you guys for just continuing that tradition right of whoever carries that shield and and certainly BASS has always been a leader in that tradition uh from from day one so again appreciate just being cutting edge and continuing to expand and, and help promote our sport and the conservation that stands behind it oh yeah yeah and that does don't forget about that conservation that's a huge thing but I always always have fun talking with professional anglers so Kurt I'll, I'll apologize to you personally because <laughs> all this is doing with like our EQ we're not going to talk about the but this is my one mention of it (laughs) is only making i feel like these anglers stronger better more equipped when they get to that pro level and it's just it's just making this competition crazy at the top level i feel like and uh and this is a part of that puzzle you know is that combine and getting these colleges better equipped more equipped it's like do you run the spread are you a are you a dive team right so those, those coaches now are able to fill their roster with their flippers, their drop shotters, their top water guys, you know, I can keep going on and on and their live scope guys. And they're just, man, they're, they're just diversifying their team. And all these kids are talking to each other and they're all learning from each other and they're all getting better. And we're seeing that competition elevated in college. And then 
to the nation and then to the opens and then to the elite. So it's just like, so Kurt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're making it tougher for you guys. I I completely agree with the sentiment, but, but don't be sorry. You know, all of us that have a passion in bass fishing, what we want is growth. What we want is a better sport. What we want is a bigger sport. And, and we want to share it with as many people as possible and providing these opportunities for anglers, especially at a young age. I wish that I had this when I was a youth, obviously, whether it be high school fishing or YouTube. I mean, I was lucky when I grew up in high school that I had four or five buddies to run around with that liked bass fishing. But exactly. a lot of we did it when it wasn't cool, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. So so you know, the passion is what it's all about. The the love of the sport is what it's all about. And if it makes the sport bigger, greater, better, man, I, I think every angler that truly loves bass fishing is all for it. And uh, you're right, though. It, it does make the competition that much stiffer, which, hey, look, if you weren't fishing against the best, then uh, what's the point of, of fishing at all, right, it, it, from a competitive right. standpoint? So it's, right. it's great right. stuff. Right. Hank, thank you so much for taking time to be with us here on Bass Edge Radio for this episode. And, and uh, we, we hope to continue to see this growth and, and continue to talk about the, the combine. Maybe, Aaron, we'll have to have a little bit of a follow-up on, on some of the results and happenings that went down there at BASS. In, in Decatur, Alabama. Again, this event is September 16th through the 18th, and y'all stay tuned. We're going to be right back with our feature angler spotlight. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Kyle Gillis. I'm Pro Angler Bill McDonald. This is MLF BPT Pro Jacob Wheeler. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Kyle Cordiano. I am Pro Angler Cole Floyd. Stay tuned for more Bass Ads Radio. of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. Aaron, man, I'm excited to have this angler on our program. You know, we kind of come from the same roots over there on the East Coast, tidal water fisheries. But, man, I'm totally digging his uh, social media vibe. Very informative with uh, some added sarcasm. It's it's fun to watch, man. Definitely my kind of humor. He has been not sarcastic catching fish, though, man. This guy's been on a freaking tear. MLF Pro Circuit Angler qualifying for the title championship the last four years in a row obviously winning the toyota series a couple of years ago as well busted 100 pounds at the title event at sturgeon bay as well in 2020 a big bass edge welcome to mlf pro kurt mitchell great to have you on the show kurt thanks man thanks for having me well, Kurt Mitchell, this is Aaron, and uh, you know, I just want to throw out there, I respect the heck out of your workout program. I, I'm not a TikToker. Everybody knows I am not on social media at all, but I did happen to come across one that, you know, it's very impressive. You, you did the pre-workout drink, setting in the truck there outside of, I think it was Planet uh, Fitness, 
and sweating like a banshee, but it was your day off and you, and you didn't cave, you know, you stuck to your training regimen. So, uh, yeah, I worked for about 45 minutes and decided I didn't want to go in there. That, that's, that's exactly. So no, in all seriousness though, like uh, dove had mentioned, love your social media stuff, but you have came right. off another great season on the MLF pro circuit and, uh, finishing the title championship in the top five for the second time in your career. What is it about, you know, when it's go time, the championships, those big events that you seem to line up well for you? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, growing up here in Delaware, you know, we don't have that many bassers from here. So, like, you know, a 50-boat tournament is about as big as you're going to get. So, when I go to these championships and all I got, you know, this last one I had to fish against 22 guys was the most, was the biggest field I had to fish against. So, it's kind of like fishing back home, you know, fishing little local tournaments is what it feels like. I mean, it's, I know it's a much bigger scale, but in my head, for whatever reason, it feels like a smaller tournament, even though it's more money. And I really don't know why, but I don't know, this kind of feels like home when I'm fishing a small tournament like that. So, me- mentally, it's a comfort level, like, pfft. 20 some guys i can take these jokers yeah all you gotta got do is keep half of them to qualify for the next round it seems pretty easy right yeah pretty- it's it's an interesting interesting deal there with the title you know they took away this year they didn't do the uh full catchway release they went with the five biggest as as the uh typical series and the pro circuit evolves but they still had the group set up so that's why kurt mitchell's mentioning you know those smaller groups and then finally in that championship round Man, it's top 10, right? What's your mindset when you get to that championship? Do you feel like you're saving fish through those previous groups because of the weight zero? So it's a little strategy, is it? Yeah, um, for me last week, it wasn't just because uh, I had a horrible practice. It was literally the last hour of my practice. I found a general area of uh, the St. Lawrence River, you know, maybe a mile or two section of the river that just, just had, you know, a lot of fish in it. So um, I didn't really get to dial that that area in very well until the tournament. So I actually had to – I was finding new areas every day I was fishing. So gotcha. for me, it was more fun to find more areas every day. And then the last day of the tournament, I got to fish all my areas, you know, put it all together. And for, for whatever reason, you know, the five-pounders just didn't bite for me. I called plenty of fours, and, but the, the fives and four-and-a-halves and, the, you know, the bigger fish for whatever reason just didn't bite for me. It was horrible conditions. I mean, that's just how it, that's how it happens, smallmouth. Yeah, it was tough conditions there on that championship day, and uh, everybody persevered though, and and still caught him caught him pretty good, man. Kurt, you've had a particularly great run on on smallmouth fisheries the last few years. We talked about your Toyota win that was on uh, Lake Erie out of Sandusky. Yep. Uh, the last three tournaments, man. I mean, I know you finished eleventh at Champlain, but yeah, you know, I call it a top ten. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you got two top tens at Champlain, top five at the Pro Circuit at Thousand Islands. What is it that that you're, you know, kind of jiving well with these smallmouth fisheries. Is that something that's come from your past or is that something new for Kurt Mitchell that, you know, you had some enlightening yeah, situation? So it's a combination of some things. Um, my first smallmouth tournament I ever fished was on Lake Erie and on San, uh, Sandusky when I was like, I don't know, probably 21. And man, I, I went there to Sandusky and I was so clueless, but then I called my first smallmouth and it all made sense, like instantly. Like in, wow. you know, smallmouth fish in general, I've, I've understood them very well. But um, the the big changing point for me was um, rooming with uh, my buddy AJ Sigonia and Matt Becker. They're easily yeah. the two fishermen that I've ever known, and they have taught me so much over the last couple of years. I have a lot of knowledge on uh, tidal rivers and stuff. That's where I grew up uh, fishing and whatnot. So um, 
I've shared all my information with them. With the Tidal Rivers, they've shared all their information about smallmouth to me, so it's all worked out pretty well for all of us. Man, that's super cool. A quick shout-out to AJ Slagonia. He's a New York angler. Fish the uh, FLW New Tour. York Hammer. New York Hammer. Yeah, that's right. Fish the FLW Tour a few years. Almost won a BASS Open uh, last year at, at Oneida Lake. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I mean, AJ is uh, – is a, and a lot of people, you know, Bat, Matt Becker, of course, been in the spotlight a little bit. So, uh, of course, yeah. a angler from that Pittsburgh – PA area, but but loves that smallmouth fishing man. You you pick some great company, obviously, right. to learn some smally tips and tricks. So very cool. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting. You know, uh, one thing that AJ's really put into my head is uh, you have uh, areas where small, smallmouth feed at, you have areas the smallmouth live at, and now another way to catch them would be you know live scoping, chasing bait. But AJ's really really taught me a lot about where smallmouth feed at and where they live at. Two completely different areas for you know where they feed at and where they live. So, so but, let's um, let's run with that a little bit. You know, I'm curious if help Bass Edge Nation and quite honestly myself um, understand if I'm heading to a smallmouth fishery, what am I looking for specifically to be productive and particularly being productive at catching better than average fish? You know, you 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 had mentioned oh the four and a halfs and the fives didn't bite. Well, and yep. Kurt and I talked a couple episodes ago as this tournament was was coming up. You know, ounces make a huge difference. So, walk us yeah. through what that is. So, when you go to these smallmouth tournaments for a Toyota series or whatever, you know, you're, you're fishing against a bunch of locals, and those locals they have a ton of like isolated boulders, little patches of rock, and stuff that they can go to. That's always going to have a fish. Me going to these places, I don't have enough time to graph and find enough of those places where the smallmouth just live at. So I have to go out there and I find areas where they're feeding at. The, the feeding areas can actually be more productive, but it doesn't happen all day, every day. You know what I'm saying? It's um, sporadic. I can't think of, yeah, it's, it's more sporadic for sure. But you know, those feeding areas can be the best fishing in the, in the lake. What I consider a feeding area is just a little rise. Um, it's pretty hard to find, but um, at Sandusky, when I won that tournament, that was, that was also an area that I considered to be a feeding area. It was uh, about 19 foot on top of a shoal, and it just came up just to 17 just a real small little rise, and uh, in the mornings they there would be no fish there at all. But you come there at about twelve o'clock, it'd be absolutely loaded with smallmouth. That's that's what a feeding area is. Um, but they don't they don't use it all day. Whereas you know boulders and uh, isolated little rock piles, they're going to have a fish on it no matter what time of the day. There's going to be a fish there. According so, your experience on these feeding areas, is the bait there throughout the day and the in the time? You know, like twenty four hours, the bait's around, and just the smallmouth come up and utilize that. Yeah. That yeah, tabletop yeah. or feeding area certain times is that is that your uh, experience? Just for sure. For, for for whatever reason, just generally not the morning when they use them feeding areas. It's usually about twelve o'clock to two o'clock. It was funny on on Erie. I, I found these the, the areas that I won that Toyota series on. I found them in the Pro Circuit event the week before, and uh, I was positive I was going to win that tournament, the Pro Circuit on uh, Sandusky Erie, because I, I I went to these these feeding areas at like five o'clock at night. And I went there and I caught 21 pounds or 23 pounds or whatever it was in like 30 minutes. It was, I was like, wow, this is incredible because, you know, Sandusky area isn't that great of a fishery. And uh, what a letdown it was when I went there in the morning for the tournament because I, I caught nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, uh, the day after that tournament was over, I went back out there later in the day and sure enough, caught about 23 pounds again. And I was like, wow, I was just there early. And then uh, What's your- you know, the Toyota Series and I, I adjusted and won the tournament. 
Very cool. Adjustment's so key, right? I mean, you talked about having a tough practice there, title, and, and just, you know, kept sifting through, finally found an area that you felt like had some fish there at the end of your practice, and then just capitalized and expanded it as the event went yeah. on. So, I mean, it's, it's so important not to get too crazy dialed in, of course, unless they're just biting every time you go, but uh, can't, yeah. can't live and die on a spot. But Yeah, maybe- I had some time to grass over there. Uh, where I was fishing at because I was kind of just uh, using live scope to find new areas throughout the day while I was drifting and whatnot. Those those fish on uh, St. Lawrence were actually in like little depression and all that current is pretty, pretty neat. That is cool. We were talking about in the uh, opening of the show and um, about, you know, Champlain, the weights being a little bit bigger than they ever. Yeah. And, you know, you don't see eight or 15, 20 pound sacks out of Champlain. It's just one the way it happened, you know, 18, 19 pound sack was really good. And if you busted 20, yeah. it was like, Hey, every once a blue moon, someone might crack, you know, 21 or 22, but they'd have some, some large mouth in the bag. Now, now yeah. you're seeing these 20, 21 pound bags, smallies, almost 22 pounds. Do you feel like that's because now you talk about these feeding areas anglers are really able to capitalize on these feeding areas and those fish just with with forward facing sonar and and these fish are just a little bit heavier than the grass fish say yeah well believe it or not when i was there uh all my fish came up grass but <laughs> there you go there you go so the answer is no right yeah all, all my fish came off grass off grass line but yeah uh, the forward facing sonars is I believe that's the reason why these giant bags are coming through on Champlain. You know, people are saying it's because of the gobies and stuff, but uh, I don't believe that to be the case. The smallmouth on Champlain, they, they don't look like fish that are eating gobies. You know, they're not built like a St. Lawrence fish or um, even uh, the fish on Oneida. Their body shapes are actually changing just from the gobies. Uh, Champlain doesn't have that yet. They're still long and not super fat. So I don't think that's it. I think, I think it's just the forward-facing sonar that's causing these giant weights to happen. I mean, you guys are out there chasing balls of bait out in 70 80 foot fish that we've never been able to catch before yeah absolutely insane how can you translate you know obviously we've been talking about smallmouth kind of that time of year a lot of the tours fishing smallmouth obviously we just had the uh oahi elite event the title the end of the pro circuit the toyota you know all these smallmouth fisheries going off i mean Mm -hmm. how do you translate you know this some of this smallmouth success for fishing largemouth down south in the beginning of this, you know, late summer, early fall period. It looks like, obviously, you've had some plenty of experience, too, in the last couple of years fishing, you know, some of these fall fisheries in the south with the Toyota Championship. I mean, you, you've qualified three years in a row. How do you feel like this technology and your success up north can translate to help southern anglers catch largemouth, maybe kind of doing some of the uh, same fall transition behaviors well um it's the same thing uh you know, chasing bait um i do it right here in delaware in our little local ponds here all the time you know uh i'll just look for bait but all, all my local bodies of water i mean you're not fishing deeper than six or seven foot so um it's kind of hard to use live but I, I do it all the time at the time i'll i'll scope around and look for bait and you know three to five foot of water and uh, throw a jerk bait to them um down south, you can do the same thing on some bits on some uh, in some pockets or whatnot. You can just put the troll motor on high and just start looking for bait. Right now, with the technology we have, that's that's the easiest way to catch bass. Right now, can't be any easier than just going around looking for bait. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I tell you what, Kurt, giving up the goods here on Bass Edge. We're gonna power pole down for a quick break, and we'll be back right after this message. 
Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with MLF Pro Circuit Angler Kurt Mitchell in this episode's Featured Angler Spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Kurt, kind of want to break down some geography real quick, man. You're obviously, I mentioned in the opening, from the East Coast Tidal Fisheries growing up there in Delaware. First off, you know, from a local perspective, was there any anglers you were able to look up to that fished? on the national scene from Delaware other than, you know, when you came through? So, uh, from Maryland, yeah. Um, there, there were some, some anglers from Maryland. There's actually, there's only been one angler from Delaware that actually lived, lived in Delaware. His name's Jim Fields. He didn't fish like the elite series. He fished like opens and red mans and stuff. Okay. But he, he did a lot with youth fishing when I was growing up and he, he helped me out a ton. We, we had a guy named Fabian Rodriguez. Yep. I fished against the, um, he, he he fished the um, elite one one or two years there. Made yeah, I remember fish. he came up through the Bass Nation, I think, right? Yeah, really good guy, really good guy, good fisherman. But other than those two, I mean, it, uh, you know, Brian Schmidt, obviously, and you know, he obviously hard, hard enough to look up to Brian Schmidt when you're living in Delaware. You know, fish the same general bodies of water. So it sounds like you're meshing Maryland and Delaware, kind of all the same place, more or less. Is that what you're yeah, thinking about? Kinda. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> The only difference between Delaware and Maryland is I gotta drive over a bridge every if I if I want to get fishing anywhere I gotta go over the Bay Bridge everywhere I go. Right. Because we're right. on. But um. So you're but, not yeah. claiming South Jersey at all though, even though it's pretty close. <laughs> oh, no, not a little bit. No, Delaware, <laughs> Maryland, nothing in Jersey. We got nothing right, to do with Jersey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally different, different foreign country over there, right? Oh, that's the... yeah. only been there twice, once or twice in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's freaking awesome man i love i love the uh you know obviously from milford delaware i think that's your hometown yep. right yep and yep. uh and you've been able to last couple of years been able to really work with some local uh businesses as well i, I noticed you know southern states part of your yep. uh, partnership package and uh frozen farmer man that's uh yep. like an ice cream deal right yeah it's uh they were actually on um the tv show shark tank oh no kidding yeah oh yeah they're actually uh becoming quite a big deal now they're in all, all the costcos all the walmarts it's actually really good stuff you ought to check it out sometime absolutely uh, I'm, I'm gonna go yeah. fish the uh, upper chesapeake so i'll be sure to grab some frozen farmer while i'm in the area absolutely sure. you need it. it's delicious that's super cool yeah you know, that, that's what i did last year for as far as sponsors you know it's, it's so hard to get uh sponsors through big companies now you know the pie of fishing if you look at fishing as a pie you only there's only so many pieces you can get. Uh, there's and there's so many anglers. So uh, last year I really just put a lot of focus on you know what kind of sponsors I can get locally here, and it, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, I, I like to see that. I like to see local businesses helping local anglers, and then local yep. businesses become more recognized and bigger because of that help. I mean, I, I, yep. I know that I would have never known Frozen Farmer. Of course, I've heard of Southern States. Obviously, most of us that yep. live you know a little bit out in the country know all about Southern States. But uh, but yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it's awesome, man. You were talking a little bit earlier about about, you know, the Delaware, Maryland kind of connection there and crossing the Bay Bridge uh, or, or maybe I guess you don't cross the Delaware 
Bay much since you're not over there in Jersey a whole lot. But, man, you cut your teeth over there. You begin seeing some fall changeover in the month of September. How will you best target that late summer, early fall fishing on tidal fisheries? Well, one thing you want to do is you want to pick up a buzz bait. This is the time of year when the buzz bait just starts dominating a lot of these uh, tidal rivers around here. Besides Potomac and Upper Bay, Upper Bay and Potomac, that's more of a um, frog and spinnerbait. But yeah, right now, I mean, these, these fish, the weather's starting to cool down. They're not really transitioning yet. At the end of September, maybe a little bit. But um, right now, they're actually, the water's cooling down. They're, they're just eating right now. So, I mean, it's a great it's a great time to be on the water uh, over here in Delaware. Most of the Tudor Rivers around here, besides uh, Potomac and Upper Bay, like Manicoke and Pocomoke River I have here, this is the best time of year to fish is uh, fall. I mean, for whatever reason, these the smaller tidal rivers they just they turn on fire in the fall, and it's, it's a lot of fun. They get back in the back in the creeks and stuff. You just whip a little quarter ounce buzz bait or three ounce buzz bait around, and you just catch the crap out of them. It's pretty fun stuff. Kurt, you had mentioned, you know, really a lot of the cooler weather changes kind of takes place more, I guess, in the in the month of October. Are there yeah. things that that you can you know share with Bass Edge that ah man, if this this is one way to pick up on recognizing that 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 the change is coming before maybe other anglers do or there are there certain you, you know uh litmus tests or things with nature that, that you're looking for uh for when that is coming yeah uh just bait you know seeing seeing bait flicker on the surface is uh is, is a big indicator that you know the bait's moving back to the creeks i mean that's that's the whole deal with these um fishery or anywhere any, any kind of fishing it's all about the bait and we start seeing bait flickering towards the mouth of creeks and whatnot uh it's time to start breaking out the poppers and the buzz baits and getting back in the creeks and start catching some of them fish uh, that first transition back there. Other than that, though, I mean, just like with Potomac, you can just use your use your eyes. You can just go back in the creeks and the water's clear enough. You can you can see, you know, you can see the fish swimming. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not too difficult to figure it out. But yeah, I mean, there's not too much science to it. Just go back in the creeks and start fishing. And if you get bit, you get bit, and they'll, they'll be back there. Uh, and if you don't, just yeah. Go back out to summer haunts. And, and one, <laughs> one quick question on, on I know you mentioned, you know, quarter, three-eighths ounce buzz bait. Are, are you the type that leaves the skirt on it, or do you put a frog, or you, do you dress that with something else, or are you just old school and leave leave it the way that it comes out of the package? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, here in Delaware, I leave the skirt on, but everywhere else in the country I go, I put a buzz bait on the back. I mean, everywhere else. But here in Delaware and other little tidal rivers, man, they just, they like that skirt. I don't know. I don't know why. I do think that the you know the horny toad buzz bait gets bigger bites in general, but uh, as far as numbers go, I mean I, I still think the, the skirt probably does get more numbers and around here for sure. Other places in the country though, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a toss up. I prefer to throw the, the horny toad buzz bait just because you know I can skip it and whatnot. But um, yeah, like I said, around here they they just they really like that skirt. Curse as far as targeting quality fish this time of year, do you, do you like the little small tidal guts? Do you like to stay on the main creek? You know, obviously there's there's typically a transition, particularly in those tidal rivers. Yeah. You know, growing up on the Potomac, I've seen this, you know, August, you know, they kind of start moving in the backs of these creeks. The water's a little bit cooler, better oxygenated mm-hmm. with, the, with the water moving a little bit more swiftly in the backs of some of these tidal guts. Yeah. How do you how do you like to target a better quality fish? Do you like to stick on the main river, stick on the May Creek channel, or do you still really like to get up in the back of those guts? I definitely like to stay on the main the main river to catch, you know, a four to five pound fish. You know, um, for whatever reason, uh, I've not had a ton of success catching, you know, I mean, you catch them every once in a while, but those four to five pounders, they generally don't go back in the creeks as much as the quality fish, you know, like the two to three pounders. 
I, I still feel like you have a better chance of catching, you know, your kick, your kicker in a tournament would be out on the main, on the main, but you, you still got a fish on the creeks to, you know, fill out your limits. But, you know, every once in a while you, you can catch a big fish back in some of the creeks, but uh, for the most part, I, I still stick out to the main river. So what I'm gathering is the numbers might be a, a little more prevalent back in the backs as at the earlier time yeah. of year before the, before the yeah. bigger ones, bigger ones make the move. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, Kurt, from a career standpoint, the goal seems, you know, crystal clear in the MLF pro circuit to, to make it to the Bass Pro Tour where the payouts are bigger, uh, entry yeah. fees, you know, much less. What What is on uh, tap for 2023 to get you through to the uh, Bass Pro Tour in 2024? Man, uh, the only thing I can do is just, just try not to bomb one. That's been my killer for the last four years. I just I go out there and I'll have five or six great tournaments and then I'll have one where I just, I just suck. I just go out there and I don't catch anything. <laughs> <laughs> like I have it's no easy idea. To, it's easy to happen, man, when you're traveling yeah. the country like that. It's actually incredible how easy it is for that to happen. I mean, I, I did it on the James River this year. and I, I mean, the James River is a place that I know, and I went out there and got like 125th. I, I tried to go against the grain this year on the um, James River and fish some, some different creeks that you know, other anglers weren't fishing, and that was just a huge mistake. <laughs> you know, um I, I don't Sometimes know. that can uh, pay off, though. But in this particular case, well, they weren't they weren't fishing it probably for a reason. Maybe is what I'm gathering. Yeah, you know, um, I think next year I'm going to try not to go against the grain a lot less or a lot a lot more. I'm going to um, try to fish what the majority of the anglers are fishing. That that'll keep you keep you away from the bombs. You know, as as long as you're fishing what the fish are actually doing, and you know, like the community holes and whatnot. As long as you're doing what everybody else is doing, your, your chances of bombing are a lot slimmer. But uh, your chances of winning are also a lot slimmer when you're doing the same thing as everybody else is doing. Right. But, you know, for me right now, it's not so much about winning. It's about making the Bass Pro Tour because uh, the entry fees being a lot less would be a huge deal for me. Yeah, entry fees less and, and paybacks uh, substantially better as well. So it's it's a yeah. flip, flip on both sides. The, uh, uh, yeah, I think fees are like $30,000 cheaper than what they are for the right. circuit. So, I mean, that, that would be a huge deal for me. Have you done? Have you calculated the math? What the average finishes is you need to to eclipse that top ten in the angler of the year standings of the pro circuit? No, I don't try to look at that. Right. Uh, right. I just, uh, I mean, every tournament you got to go there and do the best you can and get to get as high as you can. One thing I do is uh, that that's helped me a lot over the last couple of years. It's kept me in the championship is that um, when you make a top fifty, um, a lot of guys just say, you know, I'm just going to swing for the fence now and try to win. You know, I don't do that. Because if you just have a decent day on that third day, you can climb up an extra 20 points so easy. Because there's a lot yeah. of guys that will just bomb the third day because they're trying to, you know, change up and win. You do that three tournaments in, in a year, that's 60 extra points. You know, that's and 60 points in our field is, is a, a really big deal, you know. That's huge. That's, that's what I've been trying to, uh, that's what I've been doing the last four years, you know. That's worked out. I like it. So before, we're going to go to a listener question here real quick. But before we jump to that, you, you mentioned, I think, Popper. You mentioned buzzbait. What else is on Kurt Mitchell's deck running into the fall? Well, to catch that kicker that we were talking about in the main river, that's going to be either a spinnerbait or a jig, thousand percent. But uh, other than that, uh, frog, uh, being Potomac River, um, frog the frog bite can be phenomenal this, this time of year, and also punching, getting that ounce ounce and a quarter uh, punch weight out and start flipping around. Uh, that's a chatterbait too. A chatterbaits for sure. Um, that's that was, about it. I, that's now a hard bait not to have on the deck year round, right? Like um, I always have mine out. I mean, you got yours out twelve hours or twelve months of the year, man. The chatterbait. So I did. Out of the last five years, I mean, 
up until this year, really, I was a Chatterbait fanatic. But what, what happened this year is that now I've noticed that every single angler that I'm fishing against is throwing a Chatterbait, and they're throwing it religiously. So I try, I try not to do what everybody else is doing when it comes to uh, bait selection. But, you know, the Chatterbait, it's, it's, it's tough to beat sometimes. You know, that, that's a phenomenal bait. What have you eased into as a Chatterbait alternative? You know, it used to be the square bill. Eh, yep. You know, they still bite the square bill some, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's as good as it was, you know, yep. six or six or eight years ago. What have you found a lure that you can uh, yep. let the listeners know about, uh, you know, something that'll mimic a chatterbait, but just a little bit different? Yeah. So uh, I went from the, you know, the, just like you said, the uh, square bill crankbaits to flat crankbaits, to the uh, Optifo uh, flat. OG. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is crankbait. Also, you know, if you're in grass, the, uh, the Strike King hybrid hunter. I think those, that's going to be the, I mean, it already is. Uh, the hybrid hunter is, is the, the big thing in fishing grass. Now it's, it's not bigger than a chatterbait, but, uh, as far as tournament successes last in this year, especially in Florida, that hybrid hunter was, it was a huge player. And I, I think it's going to continue being a, a huge player and not just the hybrid hunter. I'm sure there's going to be some uh, other companies try to copy that bait and, you know, redesign it a little bit. So I think in the, in the coming years, you're going to see a lot more baits similar to the hybrid hunter with that, uh, L shaped bill. Very cool. All right. Great stuff, man. Here we go. We're going to hit up a quick listener question. This part of the show is brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boat. Uh, this question actually came through our Facebook page from Bill Harlow. Bill asks, when finding bass in the late summer in the south, I'm always caught in the middle between the creeks and main lake. What would help you decide where to spend my weekend exploring? Well, if you want to see some great fishing, you need to be out on the main lake. You can catch fish in the back of the creeks, and you, and you can be successful fishing the backs of the creeks and stuff. But for the most part, if you want to have a, a really successful day, you know, catching 20 to 40 bass a day or whatever, you know, just having a fantastic day, it's going to be on, out in the main lake in the summer. Those bass that are in the creeks are just not, there's just not that many of them. They, they can be big. You know, you can definitely have a great tournament by fishing shallow in the backs of the creeks in the summer. But um, as far as having like a really fun time and catching a ton of fish, you need to be out in the main lake. And is there anything in particular, you know, that, Kurt, that you would uh, advise Bill to kind of target those out towards the main lake? Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to do it is to get find some brush piles. I mean, uh, if you're not real good on ledges and stuff, just start get, get on your grass and just start looking for some brush piles. That's so a drop shot in it, you're, you're going to catch some fish. I mean, it, there's really, in the summer, there's never a point in time when there's not any fish using brush piles. You know, brush piles are very prevalent in the south for sure. So uh, that's what I would do. I would just go there, look for some brush piles and find as many as I can one day and the next day go there and catch as many fish as you can all of them. All right. Well, excellent question there, Bill. And, uh, Kurt, certainly appreciate you providing him your thoughts. Bill, get out there, try some of those brush piles and, and stay out on the main lake and see if that doesn't put uh, a lot more fish in the boat, like Kurt had mentioned. Mm-hmm. One thing we do need from you, though, Bill, is to simply log on to BassEdge.com, click on the Claim Your Prize tab, let us know that uh, you heard Kurt answer your question right here on Bass Edge, and you get that Midway USA gift card sent directly to your doorstep. And as a reminder, Bass Edge listeners, keep sending in those questions for the show through our website, BassEdge.com, Facebook, or Instagram. We send out a post there uh, once or twice a month asking for those questions to uh, have a shot at winning another Midway USA gift certificate from us here at Bass Edge Radio. Midway USA, where they have just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. Well, Kurt, uh, once again, just uh, want to reiterate, 
appreciate you being here on this September 1 episode of Bass Edge Radio. Any thoughts or anything you want to leave Bass Edge Nation with before we close down this this segment? Yeah, Frozen uh, Farmer. Frozen Farmer. <laughs> yeah. Frozen Farmer ice cream. Get out there and get you some. I, I, I need you guys all to get buy Frozen Farmer ice cream. I need a bigger sponsorship deal next year. <laughs> That's good. All good. My friends farmer get that company going next year will be a lot lot better off for me but uh one thing i would like to leave for everybody is if you get a chance go up to new york and go catch some big small mouth on st lawrence river it's on fire right now there you go there you go kurt man it's been great having you on the show i think uh, you got another toyota series on the st lawrence is that right i do and i'll I tell you what i'm pretty excited about that one yeah well we'll be, we'll be making sure we watch you up there and uh hopefully you'll uh qualify for another championship there in the uh, Toyota series man we'll uh, have to add that one to your schedule hopefully later on this fall but uh, it was great having you on the show man best of luck and uh, Bass Edge Radio y'all stay tuned Aaron and I will uh, close up this episode in just a moment know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Wow, Kurt, what a show. Um, you know, going to jump right into it. Like Hank said, who in the world would have thought we'd have been talking about high school combines filling a roster based upon skill of flipping, maybe drop shot. You know, certainly academics play in there, but uh, what a neat opportunity. Yeah, it's super cool. I got to figure out how to get my camp involved in that uh, assessment program. I think it would be great for for those young anglers. And there's so many ways, you know, I I feel like that I don't want to call it a ranking system. I think that's a, a poor way to put it. But assessment of anglers could be accomplished, you know, based on some performance measures or something of that nature. So I, I do feel like there is some basis where we could have, you know, five star, four star, three star, two star, one star. It doesn't mean that five is better than one. It just means that five maybe has shown more prowess than, than, you know, a one star person, a lot different than it would be in other sports. Right. So, uh, but yeah, uh, lots of growth, 
potential there. Obviously, you know, we've talked about high school fishing in the past there in your state of Missouri. It's it's uh, very popular, of course, in Texas. It's 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 ridiculous, you know, 300 boat high school tournaments and and a lot of other states across country as well. So uh, it's a growth process and it's exciting, dude. Yeah. Changing, really uh, literally changing, I think, the the face um, of the sport moving forward. It's 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 generational. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but I, I definitely think five to 10 years from now, we will see uh, a tremendous results from uh, what they are doing and the prep and the preparation uh, for anglers to enter in kind of those AAA events and become a long-term success. And then kind of taking it from there, you know, we go over to talking about uh, flat crankbaits for chatterbait replacements with, with Kurt Mitchell. That was a, a, another good interview. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's Kurt's always thinking, man, he's 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 getting above the game and and obviously bouncing things off of other anglers. And and that's the great thing about being in that group, Uh, you know, a a nice group of anglers. He he talked about how him and A.J. Slagonia and and Matt Becker kind of traded information in the past to, to make each other better on particular styles and types of waterways. Similar to what Hank mentioned, you know, when these college anglers, right, they get together in these groups of colleges and and then these these teams of anglers and they're all learning and bouncing things off each other. Man, obviously important for Kurt's growth. Uh, now you know, I would consider him a top-notch smallmouth angler. He's, he's proven that that he can finish well on any smallmouth fishery, which is super cool. And, and uh, man, I'm excited about his fall fishing tactics, man. Who doesn't like a buzzbait bite, right? No kidding. Uh, great advice there, and I found it interesting that in his territory, leaving that skirt on, um, great advice to uh, to try, throw it out something different. Gert, any uh, any closing thoughts? I mean, what a just a, another tremendous episode packed with a, a lot of little nuggets uh, that we can take and, and actually become a better angler, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, even after we do the interviews, to actually listen to to the full show and uh, you know just kind of reaffirming you know some of these tips and techniques that that we talk about and emphasize, and of course the featured anglers, and and now with this new spotlight that that uh, you know garners a lot of additional information for things that are happening in the industry it's exciting times man and you know appreciate all the listeners man keep coming back and and if we'd love to hear your feedback continuously whether checking that out with uh bassedge.com you know you can hit multiple tabs there to to contact us and and, and give us some feedback on the show or hit us up through our social media that's probably the easiest way and and obviously very transparent so uh leave a comment there on our instagram page or our facebook page we would love to continue hearing from the listeners and uh aaron chalk it up man another great episode in the books enjoyed spending time with you yes sir likewise um like kurt said stay with us all things bass edge through the social media platform and the website for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge crew i am aaron martin looking forward to uh spending some time again in two weeks for episode number 384 so long everybody is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.